Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. If you have your Bibles, would you join me today in the book of Philippians in chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. As we begin today, uh, just a word to our graduates. Uh, congratulations to you. Uh, this is, uh, you know, this is a different day for me because I'm looking around at our graduates. And when I became pastor, you were little children. And it's, it is just, I'm, I'm happy. I've got mixed emotions to tell you the truth. I'm so happy for you. I know you've worked so hard for this moment. Parents, I know you've worked so hard for this moment. But it's, a, it's also just a, boy, just a day of kind of heartache for me as I look and I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of the uh, young men and women that you have become, uh, but also thinking, that must make me old, make me older. And so I'm so happy that we get to celebrate you today. I do have a lot of advice that I wish that I could give you today. There's one piece of advice that I know would be lost on you now. So you can, uh, you can file this under Remember This Later. Because I want to give you this lesson now, but really the only teacher that can teach this lesson is time, is that it all goes by so quickly. It all goes by so quickly. And I used to think that just old men say that. (laughs) But you don't truly understand it until you blink your eyes, you've turned around and It seems like so much of the life that you've had is behind you, and certainly so much is before you, which is what makes the fact that God really placed this message in today. I had this message for another time, and God placed this message in today, which makes this message all the more appropriate for our celebration today. You see, because students, for the vast majority of your life, your parents have made the decisions for you. And slowly, as good parents do, they've given you more and more responsibility. They've acclimated you uh, to this newfound freedom that will be yours in the coming days. But the responsibility for raising you and all of the hard decisions have laid at their feet. And they have done a wonderful job and they have, they've made some mistakes. But pretty soon, the responsibilities will lay at your feet. And the responsibility will lay at your feet. And the burden of that high responsibility will be upon your shoulders. And so as we come to our passage today, looking at this concept of joy for the past year, I want you to see a command that Paul has given to the church, to you graduates, to uh, you senior adults, to everyone 
who has called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. A command has been given to us today in the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 through 13 in a message that I have entitled, Working Out What God is Already Working In. Working Out What God is Already Working In. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we desire today not a word from Josh, not a word from the graduates, not a word from the music minister, not a word from man, but Father, what we desire, what we need is a word from you. And so as we open up your word, would your spirit give me clarity? Would you anoint me for the preaching of your word and would you allow this very weak preacher to proclaim now the power of your gospel? For it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. A singular command lies at our feet today. Uh, for us to analyze. This has always been one of the more difficult for my brains to grasp and to get around. And so I want us to analyze this verse bit by bit. I want us to look at this command just piece by piece today to see how we may observe this command. If you're taking notes, number one, I want us to see the who. The who. To whom is this command given? Who is to obey the command that is written down in the text today? Is this command just for the super Christians? Just for the ones who want to be above and beyond? Just those who want to be the honor roll of the Christian faith? Those who want to graduate with honors? Is that, the, is that who this command is written to? No, this command is written to all believers. There are no exemptions from this command. There is no, well, just if you want to play church on Sunday, then perhaps this command may not be written for you. This command is written for every believer. It's written to the Christian. Now, there are plenty of instances where I can prove this to you. Let me draw your attention into, uh, just to the first of this book to show you how this command is written to the believer. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. There are uh, lots of commands given in the Bible, but God has not commanded each of us to build an ark. That was to Noah. He's not commanded us to go to Tarshish. That was Jonah. But this command most certainly is to all believers and for all believers to take seriously. Here, Paul has addressed at the very beginning of his letter that this word of God is for the believer. He says it again in verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you We'll bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is written for the believer. Let me let you in on a little secret. The scripture is written for the believer. 
Can I get an amen? I, and listen, if you're not going to give them, I'm going to ask for them, all right? I don't mind putting my hands out for this one, okay? The Scripture is written for the believer. When the world does not accept the Bible, when the world does not accept the Scripture, they're doing just what comes natural to them. If they will repent and call upon the name of Jesus, then they can receive this text as God has given it to us. The Bible is written for us believers. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired and breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The command given here today is to every single believer in every stage of life. There is no retirement from uh, this command. There is no, I'm too young to obey this command. This command is given to every single believer. But notice that this is not given to the unbeliever. That's going to be very important in the next few moments for you to understand that this command is not given to the unbeliever today, but only to those who have repented of their sins and called upon Jesus as Lord. So if you're here today and you have never called upon Jesus as Savior and Lord, if you've never turned from your sins, our message to you today is, the message from God's Word to you today is, repent of your sins and call upon Jesus. There's healing for your brokenness. There's hope for your sorrow in him. But the commands that are about to be given are only given to those who have already repented of their sins and called upon Jesus. Which brings us to our second point. Not only the who of the command today, but the what. What is being commanded to us. Notice with me now back in our text for today, verse 12. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. What is commanded here? It, the command given to the believer is to work out our own salvation. And you may say, now Josh, that sounds kind of odd. That sounds at contradiction with everything that we have been taught. After all, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that there is none good, no, not one. In Romans chapter 3 in verse 20, the scripture says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. How can we possibly work out something that we can never work to attain? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that it is not a work of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You may ask the question, Josh, how can I work out my own salvation if the Scripture says that there was nothing that I can do to earn my salvation? Let me make that very clear. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn our own salvation. Try as hard as we might, and collectively all of us together, we may try as hard as we can to be good and to be righteous, and yet the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags to the Lord. There's nothing with all of our power that we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that we can do, Christian, to keep our salvation, or to maintain our salvation. And yet here is this paradox laid before us. 
You couldn't earn it, and yet believers work it out. That word work it out uh, uh, in our text today means that we are to see on to the finish. We're to carry out to the goal. We're to finish. We're to complete this task. You see, we can't find salvation. We can't earn it. We can't keep it. We can't lose it. But believers, you and I are commanded to work it out, to complete it, to carry out to the goal, to see on to the finish. Now, what does this mean? This means that believers, you and I have an active responsibility to be obedient. You and I have an active responsibility to daily, as the Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, to put to death the things of our flesh. That means we are to actively, each and every day, with everything that's been put before us, we're to be obedient to God. You have an active responsibility to run the race that is set before you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Believers, you and I have a responsibility to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Could it be that we as a church have cheapened grace and our faith by saying that we have no responsibility after we have become saved to actively be obedient for Jesus, to actively obey his commands. Jesus himself says in John chapter 14 and verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Believers, we are to actively be working out our salvation each and every day. We're to be submitting our hearts, our flesh to the cause of Christ. Again, that doesn't come natural. You look at a world that has given in to every single whim, every single passion that they want to pursue. They say, that's just okay, that's fine. If you feel it, you ought to do it. And it's the exact opposite for the Christian. If you call Jesus Lord, you will submit to him as Lord. It doesn't matter how much you may want to steal. It doesn't matter how much you may want to lie. It doesn't matter how much you may want to gossip. It doesn't matter how much you want to covet or be angry and sin. As believers, we are to work it out. Every day, bringing our body underneath discipline to bring ourselves to submission and to obedience to Christ. We're to work it out. How are we to do this? When, when are we to do this? He says twice in our passage today when we're to do this. He says, now as always. Do you notice what he says there in our text today? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. 
Paul gives this command to the Philippian church. He's reminding them that he is in jail. I can't be around you. I can't supervise you right now. But as you obeyed me in my presence, even more so in my absence. Uh, one day a week, one day a week, Sarah works late. And I go and get the kids, and I, I bring them home, and, and we help get ready for when, when mama's going to get home. But always, about 10 minutes before she gets home, she gives me a phone call, and she says, hey, I'm headed home. Now, in the Hall household, that is code red. <laughs> that means mama's not been home, and you may have gotten away with a few things. But those toys better be picked up. Those pillows better be fluffed. Those little blankets, quilts, whatever it is. The throws, what do y'all call it? A thousand throws. <laughs> and all I have to do is go uh, put some green beans on the stove, and every last one of them have been used to make the most magnificent fort in the living room. And we got 10 minutes and so I'll put a timer on, and I'll say, guys, we got to be going. Now, had Mama been home, well, the fort, fort may have been built. It would have been more properly supervised, right? Been more properly monitored. But there's something about when Mama gets home, there's just a little more uh, obedience, and I, I try to be a good dad and try to be stern as well. And Sarah's a very good mama. Uh, oh, she's in nursery today, so y'all don't whisper any of this to her, Okay. But the, the fact is, when we are outside of supervision or when we feel that we're away from supervision, the tendency is to disobey. And Paul is saying, all right, I'm not present, but even more so, while I'm away, you be obedient. My friends, Jesus has ascended to the Father in heaven. Make no mistake, he is with us always, even to the ends of the age. But there's a day that he is coming back. I believe that day is very soon. I believe that day is very, very soon. Are you ready? Will he find you obedient when he comes back? Also, the word work out here, the way that it is written in the Greek means to keep on, to keep on doing it. There's no statute of limitations for you. Whatever stage you are in in life, you're still to be working it out, to be working out your own salvation in your life. I mean, you think of your, your life and your heart like the promised land. The Israelites came into it. They subdued only part of what they were supposed to do, and they dealt with the consequences for the rest of their existence. My friends, is there not more territory to claim in your heart for the kingdom of Christ? Is there not more territory to claim in your passions for Christ? Is there not more territory in your life? My, you may have served Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years. You still have an obligation to work out your salvation. You can't earn it. You can't keep it. But that which God has begun in your heart, you will work out. Now, how does he say that we are to work this out? With fear and trembling. This has been my greatest obstacle. I've called countless pastor friends, and none of them have seen it the same way that I have. There's almost an apparent contradiction to me. 
We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, and yet it seems like the prevailing wisdom of the Bible says that we are not to fear. What about Joshua 1.9? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What about almost every time that an angel introduced himself to Mary or to Joseph or to, or to Zechariah or to any, anyone that we read of in Scripture that an angel introduces themselves, the people are afraid, and every single time, what does the angel say to those people? Fear not. Do not be afraid. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, this is the prevailing wisdom throughout the Bible, and yet the Scripture also teaches a nobility in fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And you know, some people would say that there's a difference between fear and respect. And what God is commanding us when he says, with fear and trembling, what he is saying is, and when the scripture tells us to fear the Lord, one of what we are to be taking that as is referring to awe and to reverence and respect. And I, I agree. I agree. But a certain, at a certain point, these two seem somewhat inseparable. Our context bears out that this passage is referring to awe and reverence. If you look at that first word in verse 12, therefore, you've heard preachers say, if you see the word therefore, you have to look back and see what it's there for. The last few verses that we have just studied together, verses uh, 5 through 11, tell us about Jesus humbling himself. But the therefore comes on the heels of the exaltation of Jesus, the super exaltation of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in light of Christ's super exaltation, we are to, we are to have reverence, super reverence towards Jesus. And that ought to accompany with itself with fear and, and trembling, awe and respect. But I can't really separate it, in my mind, fully from, from what we know as fear. Shaking, afraid. As a matter of fact, the word tremor is there. And so I, I began to study, and I looked at Revelation chapter 1 and verses 12 through 18. Y'all remember John who just said, perfect love casts out fear. John, that apostle who at the Last Supper laid his head back on the chest of Jesus at that Last Supper, the one who was entrusted to take care of Jesus' own mother, the one who was the beloved disciple, who was closer to Jesus than it seemed like any of the other disciples. Jesus sees Jesus in heaven, and the way that he reacts is completely different than he did on earth. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. 
The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John is in the presence of this super exalted Christ, and in his flesh there is fear. Now, granted, Jesus says next, fear not, I'm the first and last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and to, and to Hades. But, my friends, I think the point for us to carry home today is that as we're working at our salvation in light of the exalted Christ, we ought to do so with fear and with trembling, I wonder how many lives would be changed today. I wonder what the church would look like to the world today if there was a church filled with men and women who worked out their own salvation with fear and with trembling. Not because we're going to stand judged or condemned. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, but a church that's paralyzed by the exalted Christ that we serve, a church that is gripped by the fact that we serve the one whose name is above every other name. My friends, if you were to work out your own salvation with that fear and trembling in light of the exalted Jesus, you would see a change in your life. Those habits that you want to shake would change. Those sins that you want to give up would change if you were to focus on the exalted Christ and work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. I was uh, watching some videos the other day of the, uh, of the coronation of the new king in England. I was told my kids, I read on the news that the king was going to be coronated, and I told them, I said, England's going to have a new king and they asked to see a picture, and I showed them the picture, and Bell said, he's old. <laughs> I said, he's been waiting a long time, apparently. And I really don't care about any of that. You know, it's good, good for them and all. You know, I, we've earned the right to not care since 1776, I suppose. Just how I feel about it. But uh, I'm watching uh, little bits and pieces of, pieces of this, and I'm going, you know, Josh, why are you even watching this? This is... Uh, uh, crazy and ridiculous. But then I begin to watch all of those people performing their roles. And I begin to think how intimidating it must have felt to know that you're being watched live, that this is a momentous occasion in the life of this country, perhaps in the life of the world. And every single role that they have, they're doing it before the king. Must seem a little intimidating. I wonder... I wonder what would happen in our lives if we, if we started to act and work out our salvation as if the king is right in front of us. And the king is watching. And the king knows everything about our lives. The king of kings and lord of lords, there's nothing you can do to hide from him. There's no place that you can go to hide your sin from him. So believers, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. 
The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Psalm chapter 11, verse 10, if you want to deal wisely in your life, revere, live in awe of, and respect, fear the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 through 14 when the, the wisest man who ever lived examined all of life, he said, the end of the matter is this. After all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. If you love the Lord, you will fearfully work out your own salvation. But let's look lastly at the why. The why. And that is the promise in verse 13. Why do we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling in light of the exalted Christ? Why do we do that? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, my friends, we are merely working out that which God has already worked in us. God has not left us on our own. God is all he is asking of us in this passage as believers is to work out what he has already begun to work in us. We are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because God is already working in us. If God has worked salvation in us, we will be working it out. What does he say here? For it is God who works in you both to will. Now that word will is a funny word. It, it means to be thoughtful, to have intentional desire. Uh, Paul acknowledged that he was a sinner. He knew that there was nothing that he could do in and of himself. There's no power that he had to do good works. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 19, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul says that, and we can all identify with Paul. Why is it that the wrong thing always comes so right to us? Why is it that the wrong thing always comes so natural to us? That's, that's our flesh. Paul continues in Romans chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why do we work it out? Why? Because God is working in us to will. So the world may think that they want to do good, but their good is only beneficial to themselves or beneficial to those that they want to benefit. But the scripture says that because God has begun this work in us, he gives us the will. You want to do good. You want to do right. You want to do right for the right reason. You and I don't have the capacity uh, to want to do the right things for the right reason, but God brings that about in us. That's why the psalmist was saying, Psalm 119 in verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. Why? He knows that it's not in himself. Lord, you're going to have to incline my heart to yourself. We work it out 
We work out this salvation because God has first worked it in us. For it is God who works in you both to will, that is, he gives you the desire to want to do right, but also not only the will, but he, he gives you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're working it out because we know that God has already produced those good works in us. The passage I read a while ago, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let me read that again, but I want to finish it with verse 10. Paul says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God has saved you. You could not earn salvation. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve separation from a holy God forever and ever and ever. But God provided salvation for us by sending his son Jesus to come to the earth, live a perfect life, to die on the cross, bearing the weight for your sin and for my sin, and then to go to a borrowed grave for three days until he rose again to provide us salvation. But not only has Christ provided us salvation, but he is providing in you sanctification that is good works now my question to the church is today how much do we have to despise the gift that he has given how much do we have to hate the gift of the gospel that he has given and so by suppressing it and not actively working out our own salvation with fear and trembling how much do we have to despise that free gift by saying, well, I've been given God's grace. I can go do whatever it is I want to do with very little guilt. By the way, if you go and do whatever it is you want to do apart from God's law with no guilt, my friend, you've not been born again. You may have made a profession of faith. You may have been dunked under the water. You may have... I'm going to tell you what, you may have like frequent flyer miles on that baptistry up there. That's not going to save you. If you don't have conviction of sin in your life when you sin, there's a serious problem because, because those whom God saves, he sanctifies. He causes good works to bubble up in us. So the Bible tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who both works and wills in you, or wills and works for his good pleasure. Now, what's the end result here? For his own pleasure. For his own pleasure. Not for your own pleasure or my own pleasure, but for God's own pleasure. He brought us to saving faith. He didn't need us for joy. He didn't need us to add anything, to, to, uh, to add joy to his life, and yet he's brought us into the fold, and we, we give God joy. I wonder, I wonder how joyful you've made your father this week. Are you working out your own salvation with fear and trembling? My wisdom to you and to me today is this. Work out that which God is already working in you. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. 
We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.